Jesus being both a savior and a servant. Um, and just again, uh, how powerful that is, that, that that's an example for us. And it's part of the reason why I've, I've taken some time to really kind of talk about uh, this whole idea of, of leadership. And we've really been focusing on Jesus being kind of the ultimate leader and what that has to say to us, because I believe all of us in this congregation, every one of us, regardless of your station, your age in life, every one of us in this congregation is a leader. And Jesus made such a strong and a powerful, uh, he was a very influential, I think the most influential person who's ever lived or ever will live. Uh, And again, his desire, his heart, his passion was to serve and to give his life as a ransom. His mission I mean, his focus in in life was to search and to seek out and to save uh, the lost. And so two weeks ago, we kind of focused on this whole concept of leadership really being about influence. And, and, and largely, that's what it is. I remember some, one time somebody said to me, you know, as a leader, it's really wise every once in a while to just look behind you and see if anyone is following you. Because if you're a leader and no one is following you, you're not leading, you're wandering. And so it's, again, for me, it's important to look behind every once in a while and to say, are there people following? Because if they're not, I'm probably not using my influence or my leadership in ways that God has equipped or called me to do. And so we've kind of been looking at this whole concept that, that if you have influence over someone's life. Parents, you have influence over your children. You're a leader for your children. You're a leader in your family. Uh, If you're in a workplace and you're uh, influencing other people, you're leading them. And so again, leadership is all about influence. And all of us in this room influence others to varying degrees. That's why it's so important to stop and to look, not just at Jesus and and his leadership, his influence, but again, what is he, how is he equipping, how is he calling us to use our influence in the lives of others? So again, we just talked about every one of us is a leader because someone influences someone. Now, if you think about that concept of of influence, Adolf Hitler was an extraordinary leader. Now, before you boo me or walk out of here, stop and think about that. Here's a man who used his influence in horrific, barbaric ways. And yet he was able to influence an entire nation that they were the superior race and the job of the Germans was to eliminate the inferior race of the Jews. And he was a leader because he was able to use his influence in such a way that many people bought into that and, and, and followed and participated in what he wanted to do. By the same token, Billy Graham is an extraordinary leader as he's influenced and led millions of people in confessing and following Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives. Now, both of these men, incredible leaders because of their influence over others. And yet, one man uses his influence, again, in horrific and just barbaric, cruel ways, 
resulting in the murder of millions and millions of innocent people, while the other man uses his leadership, his God-given influence to save lives and to impact the kingdom of God. That is the challenge for us. We need to leverage the influence God has given us in whatever sphere of influence you have to lead, to inspire, to equip, to encourage, to comfort people in their walk and their relationship with God. That is godly leadership. And God has equipped every one of us and is calling every one of us to use that leadership and to use that influence in God-honoring ways. Last week, we kind of talked about the feeding of the 5,000. It was actually many, many more than that. We talked about the concept of leadership in serving others and how Jesus used his influence as an example for us so we would know how to lead and to lead as a servant. We also saw this serving model as Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, one of the greatest myths and one of the greatest misunderstandings out there is that leaders are born. Either you're born a leader or you're born not a leader. And if you're not born a leader or have God-given leadership giftings, you can never be a leader. That's a myth. That is a lie. Leaders are not born. Leaders are made. Leaders, leadership skills can be acquired. They can be learned. John Maxwell, in his book, Developing the Leader Within You, he says, leadership is developed. It's not discovered. He said, the truly born leader will always emerge, but to stay on top, natural leadership characteristics must be developed. That's interesting to me. And he goes on to kind of list four types or or what he calls levels of leadership. And he says, the first level of leadership is what he calls the leading leader. And he says the four characteristics of the leading leader are these, is born with leadership qualities, has seen leadership modeled throughout life, has learned added leadership through training, has self-discipline to become a great leader. Now I want you to notice three of the four that he lists there of that leading leader are acquired meaning they can be learned, they can be acquired over time. So the second level or the second type of leader is what he calls the learned leader. And he says there's three characteristics of this learned leader, and they are they've seen leadership modeled most of their life, they've learned leadership through training, has self-discipline to be a great leader. And again, he says these three are acquired, they can be learned. Again, I find that very interesting. Third type or level of leadership is what he calls the latent leader. And he says the three characteristics of a latent leader are, has just recently seen leadership modeled, is learning to be a leader through training 
Or again, has that self-discipline, that self-motivation to become a good leader? Are you kind of starting to see a pattern developing here? All three characteristics of the latent leader can be acquired. They can be learned. You can grow in this. Fourth and final type or level of leadership is what he calls the limited leader. And the three characteristics of the limited leader are has little or no exposure to leaders, has little or no exposure to leadership training, but has a desire, a willingness uh, to become a leader. And you're one of those four. Every one of you in this room, you are in one of those four levels or characteristics. And again, he says all of these characteristics, even in that limited leader, they can be acquired. They can be learned. And so Maxwell's whole point, and the reason I'm sharing this with you, is again, is that leadership is not an exclusive club for those who are kind of born with it. The traits that are the raw materials of leadership and the vast majority of the skills of leadership can be learned, can be developed. Link them up with the desire, I mean the passion to become a leader and nothing can stop you from becoming an effective leader. And I believe for any church or organization to function at a healthy, a vibrant, growing, thriving stage. Again, empowering leadership where we give power away. Anytime you engage in empowering leadership beyond the church and the church staff, if, if any church is gonna go on to become an effective church, that empowering leadership where we give power away is a must. If Praise Community Church, I believe, is going to become all that God wants us to become, it is critical that we learn, that we are teaching, that we are modeling effective leadership, that we're nurturing, we're teaching on it, we're supporting it, we are empowering the laity to lead in the areas that God is calling and raising you up to lead. Pastor Mark and, and Pastor Jim have been leading a group of you through uh, the spiritual gifts class. And again, the whole idea there is to begin to help you to identify what are the gifts that God has given you. How has God equipped you to serve the body of Christ? And then how you can begin to use those gifts to lead and to influence people for the kingdom of God. So again, leadership to me, it is influence and it is serving. In Luke twenty two twenty six, 26, Jesus says, the one who serves you best will be your leader. And again, it's serving that is leadership there. It's not demanding. It's not requiring people. It's not coming up here and, and, and badgering and belittling people, making people feel guilty for what they're not doing. That's, that's, that's not leadership. And some of you, unfortunately, have been under that kind of leadership. To me, leadership really kind of comes when you're able to begin to influence people in good and positive ways. When you're able to begin to kind of transform uh, the, the way they see themselves, how they experience God. I, I mean, that's influencing people that's going to bring about lasting uh, change. It, it's not demanding. It's not requiring. 
Another word for being a leader is being a people builder. It's your beginning to build and you're beginning to invest uh, in people. And Jesus used his leadership. I mean, he used his influence not to only serve, but he did it to build people up, to encourage them. And so this morning, I want to just kind of look at a few techniques that Jesus used as a leader to build people. The first technique Jesus used was he gave people an example to follow. If you want to be a people builder, if you want to be a leader, if you want to be able to have godly influence over the lives of other people, you must give them an example to follow. One of the many things I just I love and, and I admire when you begin to look at the life of Jesus is he never asked anybody to do something he himself was not willing to do or had already done. John 13, 15, Jesus says, I've given you an example to follow. Now do as I have done. I love that. Jesus made this statement following the washing of the disciples' feet. And Jesus is saying again, reminding us that leadership is really modeled through serving. I did it, now you go and you do likewise. So he gives us an example to follow by modeling it for us. People do what people see. Or some of you grew up, you know, monkey see, monkey do. Same thing. Stanford Research says 89% of what we learn is visual. 10% of what we learn is auditory, and the other 1% is through the other senses. So if they're correct, and I think they are, it makes sense that the more followers see and hear their leaders being consistent in action and word, the greater will become their consistency and loyalty. What we hear, we understand. What we see, we believe. We certainly see this exemplified in the life and the ministry of Jesus. What people need is not a motto to say but a model or an example to see. 1 Peter 5, 3 instructs us by saying, don't lord it over people assigned to your care, but lead them by your good example. Many of you may not be familiar with a guy by the name of David Nealman, just a fascinating individual to me. At one time, he was the founder and CEO of JetBlue Airlines. Maybe some of you have flown uh, that yourselves. In 2001, Southwest Airlines and JetBlue were the only profitable major airlines. And in 2002, JetBlue had over 6 million passengers. And one of the things that kind of set JetBlue apart from any of their competitors was this intense focus on customer service. So years before JetBlue ever flew their first flight, Nealman and this team of people that he had assembled made a long list, and many of you have experienced this, of the worst parts of flying. And from that list, JetBlue maintained a vigorous 20-minute goal for unloading luggage. 
flight attendants in the aisles to help stow bags, cheaper prices, individual TVs, leather seats, lids on the coffee cup, just to name a few of the things they identified and began to find solutions for. Now, what is amazing to me is from its inception, David Nealman, the CEO of JetBlue, would fly aboard JetBlue as a passenger at least once a week just to observe firsthand how things were going, looking at the operation from a passenger's point of view. And the amazing thing was he always sat in the last row, which was, I think, row 27 of of each Airbus A320 aircraft when flying on his company's airplanes to demonstrate, again, that pleasing the customer is more important than pleasing the CEO. At that time, seats in the 27th row did not recline. So he, in essence, took the worst seat on the airplane to basically, again, to see from experience how well are we doing as an airline. So he would regularly kind of take his place at the gate, taking tickets, serving refreshments to the passengers during flights. He would clean the plane. He would take turn unloading luggage at the terminal. Again, just so he could experience firsthand the hustle and the commitment that it really required to get the uh, luggage unloaded in JetBlue's promised 20 minutes. As the CEO of JetBlue Airlines, his 2002 salary was $200,000 with a bonus of $90,000. That year, he donated his entire salary to the JetBlue Crew Member Crisis Fund, which was established by him for JetBlue employees who had fallen on hard times. When asked why he did all that he does as a CEO, he simply stated he wanted his employees to know firsthand, by example, by experience, that he would never, ever ask anything of them that he did not ask of himself or was willing to do. This is leadership by example because you cannot ask of people what you yourself are not willing to to do. See, Jesus could ask, and he could expect the disciples to wash the feet of others because he himself first set the example by washing their feet. As a leader, you can only take a person as far as you've gone yourself. You know, I've committed uh, one Sunday a month Uh, in the Praise Cafe, where I I go down and I make pancakes and waffles because I ask, I expect, I want people serving other people in that capacity, in that area of the church's ministry. And I know for me to be able to ask that, to expect that, may I say demand that, I know I need to be able and willing to lead by serving in that way myself. I don't say it to pat myself on the back. I just want you to know, I don't ask of anyone in this church to do anything. I either haven't done or wouldn't do myself. In the early days of this church, a lot of you were with us then. When we met over at YFC, I mean, I did my fair share of setup. There were times I would go over on a Sunday afternoon. It was me, myself, and I. 
and, and I would set up chairs. I would get bathrooms uh, kind of set up, and I would do whatever needed to be done. If, if coffee needed to be made for the next morning, I made the coffee. I was usually the last one out the door, you know, tearing everything down, putting everything away, making sure everything got put back where it needed uh, to go. I mean, I'd clean bathrooms when we would go in there and find bathrooms less than clean, and I would just grab the stuff and go in there uh, and clean. And, and, and so again, it, you got to lead uh, in, in those kinds of ways. And again, it's just modeling that. And just like Jesus, if we want to be effective leaders, we have got to be willing to do what we ask of others to do. We've got to lead by example, not demanding and not commanding. 1 Timothy 4.12 encourages us to set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. If you want to lead effectively. And you're leading. Every one of you in this room, you're leading someone. You're influencing someone. You've got to figure out whether that influence is good or bad. Is it righteous? Is it unrighteous? Is it right? Is it wrong? If you want to lead people effectively, you want to work on these five areas of your life. In speech, how do you talk to people? In life, how do you live your life? In love, do you really show love to people? In faith, do you really trust God or do you just talk about it? In purity, do you live a life of integrity? These are the things God wants you and I to model. And again, Jesus gives us Many, many examples in all five of those areas. And just as Jesus set an example for us, we also need to set an example for those who are following us. Second way Jesus led is he challenged people to a greater purpose. That's what leaders do. They help us see beyond ourselves. Every one of you in this room, I'll guarantee you, see yourself limited in some capacities. A great leader is someone who can kind of come, recognize that, and just either remove the barrier or at least try to raise that barrier to help you kind of excel and exceed in a bigger way. A great leader is someone who kind of gets the focus off of themselves and gets others to kind of begin to think in bigger and grander ways. Great leaders are not only leaders by example, but again, they challenge us to a greater cause, to greater purposes, to greater projects. Jesus constantly challenged people to a greater cause beyond themselves. And there are at least three areas in our lives where Jesus will challenge us to a greater cause. First of all, Jesus will challenge our priorities. How does Jesus challenge your priorities? Jesus challenges your priorities by asking you to give up something. Jesus may come and say, I want you to give this up for a greater cause, for a greater purpose. I want you to give this up. I want you to lay this down for the good of others. I want you to give up this in order to get this. That is the challenge of priorities. Jesus challenged a man's priorities in Matthew 19. A man approaches Jesus and in verse 16 says, Teacher, what good deed must I do to, in, to have eternal life? And Jesus replied by saying, Why do you ask me 
about what is good. There's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. And the man asks, which ones? And Jesus replies, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and your mother, love your neighbor as yourself. And the man responded by saying, I've obeyed all of these commandments, what else must I do? And Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then Come, follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Here's a case where Jesus challenged a man's priorities. And it's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't say this to anyone else in the entire Bible. Jesus just says this to this one guy. Why? Because it was a unique challenge to him that hit this guy where he was the weakest. Jesus perceived, he discerned in his heart, this guy lived for his wealth, for his money. This guy cared more about his wealth than he did the welfare of other people. And Jesus perceived that, and he kind of just went right for the weak spot, and he challenged him in that area of his priorities. And God will do that to each one of us from time to time. It may not be in the money, in the area of money, But it will be in some area where God will challenge and say to you, I want you to give up this in order to get this. Second way that Jesus challenges us is he challenges us in our faith. How does Jesus challenge us in our faith? By asking you to do something that is very difficult, if not downright impossible. Listen to Jesus' instructions to the disciples as he gets ready to send them forth in Matthew 10, beginning in verse 5. Jesus sends out the 12 apostles with these instructions. He says, don't go to the Gentiles or to the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. How many of you would call that a challenge? I think so. Jesus says, give as you have freely received. You've been blessed, so now I want you to go, and I want you to begin to bless others while you're at it. Raise the dead, cast out demons, heal the sick, and tell them the kingdom of heaven is near. Now what if Jesus told you to go out and to raise the dead, heal the sick? We'd probably be like, no way, Jose. I can't do that. I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. I've never done anything like that in my life before. That, to me, is impossible. And Jesus would say, you're right. It is. You can't. That is why you need my spirit in you. Jesus will challenge. He's going to expand. He's going to grow your faith. We talked about this last week by putting you in difficult, if not impossible, situations. God will say, I want you to go and ask forgiveness of that person. I can't do that, God. 
They need to ask my forgiveness. They hurt me. I want you to start tithing. I can't afford that. I want you to go and I want you to talk to that person about me. Oh, I can't do that. I don't know what to say. It makes me so nervous. That's what the pastors are for. God is going to challenge you. He's going to challenge your faith by stretching you, by putting you in situations where you just got to depend on him completely, wholly. He's going to ask you to do stuff that sometimes will just defy human logic that seems impossible just so that you'll begin to understand with you it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. That's great leadership. Third way that Jesus challenges us is he challenges us our small thinking. Again, he challenges our small thinking by giving us a greater vision. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. When Jesus told his followers to go to the entire world, back then, that was physically impossible. When Jesus gave his disciples this command, there was no way for them to fulfill that. There were no planes, trains, and automobiles. There were no ocean-bearing ships they could sail on. There was no way they could get to the whole world at that point in history. Jesus gave them an impossible command. What's Jesus saying here then? Jesus is saying, I want to expand your vision. I want to break down your preconceived barriers. I want you to begin to think bigger and globally. Here's the thing. You're not here this morning to be a part of history. You are not here this morning to watch history unfold. You are here to make history. Okay, let me say that again because I think most of you must be sleeping. (laughs) Or you're just kind of in a state where you just think, yep, that applies to everybody, but that does not apply to me. You do not know me. I am nothing. That's the problem. And that's why you need Jesus to expand your vision. Because you're kind of sitting there thinking, yeah, everybody else is here to make history. I'm not. I'm just watching history unfold. You're here to make history. You're here to impact the kingdom of God. And you got to start thinking bigger. You got to start thinking kingdom mindset. God has you here, I believe, at this point, this time in history, for a a very, very particular reason. I'm here now for a very, very particular reason. I remember a vision I had one time. I've shared this vision with you guys. I mean, I I just remember being kind of in in a, a heavenly sphere, and, and I'm standing there. I mean, I, I remember this vision as if I had it just last night. And I remember standing there. I'm standing alongside uh, Jesus, and, and there's kind of uh, the crosses behind us, and there's like just this line of people um, going that direction. It, it was just a line of people that had no end to it. 
And then there was another line that went in the opposite direction that really had no end to it. And these people were just passing by in front of us, not saying anything. And I remember kind of looking at Jesus and saying, what is this? And Jesus said, this is the people you are going to influence in your ministry. I was like, oh. That was huge for me. Huge. And I, I see that coming to pass. There are multitudes of people that, that I know I've influenced. Some good, some bad. Not perfect. But again, it just helped me to really see the weightiness of what God was wanting to do just in my life. And I believe God has a vision just as big, if not bigger, for your life. But I can't. Of course you can't. Not on your own. Not on your own power, not with your own abilities, not on your own finances. But together, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit alive within you, the connection, the fellowship of the body of Christ, we can impact, we can change the destiny of people, of futures, of communities. The point is, every single person in your life, everybody you know, has the same need, and it is this. Everyone hungers for a higher purpose. If I can recommend a book to you, it's, it's Mike Bickle's books. What, what is that one, Jim, where he talks about um, the seven, seven longings of the human heart? Write that down and get a hold of that book. The seven longings of the human heart. And one of those longings of the human heart is... Everyone hungers, everyone desires to have a higher purpose in life. Every one of you in this room, you are looking for the answer to that question, is there more to my life than to be born, to go to school, to get a job, to be married, to have kids, to retire and die? And the answer is an emphatic yes, there is so much more to it than that. Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come and my purpose is to give you life in all of its fullness, in all of its abundance. Everybody is looking, longing, desiring that fullness, that abundance, that purpose, that vision that stretches our ability, that enables us to be all that God has created us to be. All of you aspire to that in this room. And it is great leaders with great visions exerting great influence that make great people, extraordinary churches, challenged community, and transformed lives. And there is nothing more significant than the kingdom of God. Do you realize the kingdom of God is going to outlast every other kingdom the kingdom of God will outlast your job, your hobby, your bank account, your sports, everything else. That's why I believe one of the most important decisions that you will make 
is you'll commit yourself to a local church. You will get involved in ministry. If you don't know what your ministry is, if you don't know what your calling is, get into the spiritual gifts class. They'll help you identify that. We'll help you identify areas in the church where you can begin to work and to use your leadership and your giftings in building the kingdom of God. Too many leaders make the mistake of thinking when they reach the top, it means that they can then use their power and their influence to force certain behaviors from those around them. We've all made the statement, if I were in charge, if I were president, if I were God, I would do this, things would be different, the world would be a better place. And again, effective leadership, it's not about power trips. But again, it's about giving power away. It's about using your leadership to effect influence and to serve others. It's about being an example. As Jesus was an example to us, go and be an example to others. Effective leadership is about living and inspiring people to a higher purpose. This is the kind of leadership Jesus gave us and calls us to give to others. I believe it's part of the influence of communion. When he met with those disciples for the final time, and he took that bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. He's influencing our hearts through his service. He took that cup and lifted it up. He gave thanks to God. He said, drink from this, all of you, for this is the blood of a new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Again, he's wanting to influence our hearts through forgiveness. He wants to influence your heart to forgive others because you have been forgiven. The chains have been removed. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now go and live and serve as the free, the redeemed, the righteousness that you are. It is for kindness that we're called to repentance. God wants to display his kindness It's not his anger that he calls us to repent. It's not a threat of eternal damnation. He said it's to display his kindness. This is a display of God's kindness. This is an extension of God's mercy. This is an invitation of God's love to you and I. There's no greater example of love than this. There's no greater example of servanthood than this. He came and he laid down his life. He gave it all for you and for me. And now we are called to go and to remember that and to do likewise. Where is God calling you to serve, to influence. Maybe you're here this morning and God is calling you to lay something down. He's calling you to give up this in order to get this this morning. Jesus laid down his life so that we could have forgiveness of sin and eternal life, a relationship with God. There's the example. 
Now the call to us this morning is, are we going to follow? Are we going to live? Are we going to lead? Are we going to influence? Are we going to serve like Jesus served? That's what I believe in part the invitation for communion this morning is. Are you willing to lay down your life? Are you willing to give it all for the kingdom of God? Invite the worship team back up and let's just pray as they come. Father, again, we just thank you, Lord. Father, you know the hearts, you know the giftings, you know the secrets of every heart. God, you know the longings. You know the desires of every heart in here this morning. And Father, I just believe, Lord, that there are some people here this morning that have got some very heavy chains on this morning, God. Things that are preventing them, things that are keeping them from just being free to serve and to live and to love as Jesus lived and served and loved. And I believe you are here this morning to break those chains and to set people free to be the people you've created and called them to be. You said the greatest among you will be a servant. That is so countercultural. It is so offensive in our culture today. We want to be served. We want to be catered to. We want others to give their lives for us. Those are chains that need to be broken this morning. And Jesus, I believe, through the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit, you are here to break those chains. I think there are people here this morning with very limited vision, There are people here this morning that do not see themselves as leaders, do not see themselves as having any influence over anyone in any sphere. Those chains need to be broken. Those eyes need to be open. Those hearts need to come to life. Those visions just need to ignite in this place this morning, God. So Lord, I just ask as we come and as we just again look at the example that Jesus has given to us as he laid down his life, as his blood was shed for us, again showing that he was willing to be obedient to the point of sacrificing his own life. God, bring us to that place where we're willing to say, God, if it requires even my life, I'm willing to give, I'm willing to follow. I'm willing to serve in that way, Father. We just thank you. So, Lord, we just invite the Holy Spirit to come and, again, just to move within our hearts. Invite the Holy Spirit just to come to shake those that need to be shaken. Inspire those that need to be inspired. Encourage those this morning, Father, that need to be encouraged. to set ablaze in our hearts this morning, God, that we would take this message, God, and we just would begin to say, here am I, Lord. Here am I. Use me. I'm willing. I think there's some of you here this morning that just all you're thinking about are just the, the lacks that you have, the impossibilities you face. Those are chains this morning that God wants to break. Ask him. Ask him to break those chains this morning. 
Ask him to come and to empower and equip you. We have not because we ask not. Ask him this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just invite you to stand this morning and as we just kind of...